Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 81. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Do you love vintage cars? Then go to CarsYeah.com and get a free copy of the fantastic Filler Up book. It's a full-color ebook filled with fuel filler fun with over 60 color photographs of vintage cars plus inspirational quotes from some of the most famous automotive enthusiasts of all time. Simply go to CarsYeah.com, click on the free book button on the homepage, and download your Filler Up book today. It's free at CarsYeah.com. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. Today, I'm extremely excited to introduce a very special guest, Cam Ingram. Cam, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? That's affirmative. Ready to go, sir. Okay. It's great to have you here. Cam Ingram is an owner at Road Scholars, which is located on the East Coast, and they have offices in the West Coast. There, he oversees the acquisition, selling, and restoration of historically significant and collectible automobiles with a strong focus on Porsche. They service clients all over the United States and are known for having cars at the top 100% of their market. Cam comes from a family of Porsche enthusiasts and his expertise in the market is unsurpassed. He recently published a fantastic book about Porsche titled Porsche Unexpected, Discoveries and Collecting. It's a wonderful book that he collaborated on with Michael Furman and Randy Leffingwell. I have a copy in my library, and I highly recommend it for all automotive enthusiasts, and it makes a great gift for the motorhead in your life. So, Cam, I've told the listeners just a little bit about you. Would you please take a moment to share some more about your history, your business, your interests, and, of course, your passion for automobiles? Well, uh, that is quite an introduction. Thanks for that, Mark. And You're uh, welcome. What a, priv- <laughs> yeah, what a privilege to be on your show with so many uh, key names, marquee names already that have been on your program. Oh, great. It's good to have you here. See, wow, uh, that's a broad question. <laughs> I guess I guess the, the autom- automotive bug really uh, bit me in 1998. It was the uh, 50th anniversary of Porsche, and it was a celebration in Monterey during the Monterey Pebble Beach Week. My father came home, and uh, he said, we're going to take a father and son trip, which was a rarity in those days. I moved um, 22 times. I come from a corporate family, and it, it seemed like we were in not one place very long, mostly two years. Wow. And so there was a lot of travel involved. And because of that, my father's uh, climbing the corporate ladder, if you will, we uh, didn't get to spend much time together. So I was in college studying sculpture at the time. I was at a Quaker university, and I was getting a BFA in sculpture design. And we took a trip together to California. And uh, I'll never forget this because we rented a Sebring, Chrysler Sebring convertible that was gold. (laughs) (laughs) And we were driving down the highway, down US-1, of course, and that picturesque highway. And I saw my first 356. And not being a car guy... I said, what is that, Dad? And he can't, you know, of course he said, that's a 356. And without knowing anything about Porsche, uh, you know, I was instantly captivated by the design, you know, kind of the visual, the design language of the car. 
as a sculpture student at the time, I loved anything that was form and function. Of course, that's what Dr. Portia was encapsul- encapsulates. Portia is all about form and function. Mm-hmm. So that really was the impetus of becoming a car guy. That whole weekend, we went to, of course, the historic races. And that first time, you know, I'm 38 years old. I'm the next generation guy. So I didn't grow up around building carburetors in the garage, in the garage with granddad. So that first exposure to a 550 Spider, the first time to smelling 100, you know, octane, that first exposure, that was it. So it was kind of over at that time. Yeah. And that's my background of how <laughs> I fell into this, so to speak. Well, what a wonderful way. And, you know, I, it pulls on my heartstrings because when my son was eight years old, I flew him down to Long Beach, California. I live in Gig Harbor, Washington. And I bought a Beck Spider, which, of oh, course, cool. is a replica of a 550 from John Wilhoyt. He built that car. And we jumped in that car and drove all the way back home together up Highway 1 with no top, no heater, no radio. And it was one of those bonding experiences. And we had many more after that in, in many Porsches that he's always said he will never forget. In fact, he's never forgiven me for selling that car. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but when you're telling that story, that's a wonderful story. And I was there that year at Pebble Beach because I'm a Porsche fanatic. So what a way to get indoctrinated into being a car guy. And I had no idea that you were an artist and a sculptor student. That is really tremendous as well because... That means you've got a creative eye and, and a talent about you that's rather unique. So what I'd love to do now is as we continue on your journey, I, I always like to start with a success quote. And this is a saying that's been instrumental in forming your life and success. It's a great way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars, yeah? So Cam, take the wheel. You know, I think beyond having an intrinsic passion for what you do and then, you know, finding something you're passionate about and do it to the best of your abilities, which is something I come from a Midwestern upbringing and my parents always pressed that upon me. I think if there's one quote that really sticks out in my life as as a defining theme would be a quote from H.G. Wells. And it's a quote that goes, when a man realizes his littleness, his greatness can appear. Wow, that's awesome. That's a pretty grand quote. And how have you incorporated that into your business at Road Scholars? And I also want you to talk a little bit about Road Scholars because you've got a very unique name for, you know, most places is Cam's Garage or or maybe your, your business partner Kevin's Garage or something like that. But how have you incorporated that quote into your life and your business? Yeah, no, that's a, uh, you know, it's really interesting. Uh, Road Scholars is a team effort, and I, I guess that quote really transitions into you can only do great things with great people and a great team. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's a cliche because it's a universal truth, and I really believe in it. And uh, our business is not named Ingram and Watts. It's really a team of people. And we have an incredible staff in our restorations uh, department, our service department, and these are individuals every day that have passion, and it's intrinsic passion, to do things right, to restore things, critical problem-solving abilities, and they truly love what they do. And anytime I get caught up in too much administrative work, I love going out in the shop, and that's where I feel at most home is working on cars and being with people and seeing where you start and where you start and where you finish and making something and creating something that works as it should, as the way it came from the factory and creating beauty. Because this is all, 
again, why we're passionate, why anyone's on this program or listening to this program, it all goes back to passion about the automobile. And to me, that is speed and design. At Road Scholars, you guys buy and sell cars, but you also restore cars. And I would love for you to tell a, a quick story about a car that you restored for somebody kind of special, and his last name is Porsche. <laughs> well, you know, uh, in one of our convoluted uh, car deals, Kevin and I flew to Kentucky to look at the Huffman car collection. Neil Huffman was a real gentleman, great family, and he had cl- he collected each 356 ever ever made from 1949 all the way up to 65. Wow. And this collection was going up for sale, and Kevin and I have a reputation of going in and buying the collections, you know, kit and caboodle and not uh, cherry-picking. So this was right at the time when the collector car market was kind of skyrocketing, and Europe, Europe was consuming a lot of cars. There, were a lot of, there was a big vacuum noise going to Europe. And we went in there, and we, it was a bid process. People were invited to come inspect the cars and bid, and we, lo and behold, we ended up winning this collection, winning the bid for it. It's kind of a side story. Kevin went to FedEx to, you know, FedEx our offer, and he scratched, unbeknownst to me, he scratched out the offer we had and raised it. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds like Kevin. (laughs) Yeah, it does sound like Kevin. Uh, You know, we we have a great partnership because we have uh, completely two skill sets that balance each other out, and we have two distinct personalities, but he's definitely the sales guy. Because he did that, we actually got the car deal, and we got the collection, and the keystone of the collection, the highlight of the collection, if you will, was this Gamund. Um, we had the car here. We did an inventory email to our select customers, and we get a call from Germany six hours after we sent an email out that we have this very special car for sale. This guy says, well, I'm going to be there in two days. I'm going to fly in, and he says his name is Rolf Springer. I'm like, why does that name sound familiar? Why does that name sound familiar? And lo and behold, it's the guy, Rolf Springer, ran the exclusive department, the special wishes department, uh, for Porsche for years. And he happens to be Wolfgang and Hans Peter Porsche's right-hand man. He manages both their car collections. So making a long story short, he flies in, buys the car. We come to an agreement. We're ecstatic. We've sold this car to you know Hans Peter Porsche. What an honor. And he asked to see our restoration facility. Well, he takes a tour and of our restoration facility. At that time, we had a record of doing very well at Porsche Parades, the National Porsche Show. We had a track record of uh, winning there. And uh, he was impressed enough with our restoration facility to ask us if we'd restore the car. And, of course, we said yes. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> well, tell us about what happened after restoration, because you took that car to a very special show, didn't you? We did. We uh, well, it was a lot of pressure. Of course, we said yes, and then the reality of uh, it was a it was a little over four thousand hours to restore the Gamund, and it was the forty fifth car ever made at Porsche of the first fifty two cars. And it was two years. It was really the most difficult challenge at that time in our journey in our career, if you will, as a company. And uh, they wanted to go to Pebble Beach and win. And the backstory of this is that Porsche has kind of been a redhead stepchild at Pebble Beach for years. <laughs> sure. <laughs> they've, always had, they've always had a Porsche-only class. So it was going to compete in a class with all the other sports cars from all over the world. And so it was, uh, it was a nerve-wracking process, but we were very fortunate uh, to go there and win our class. And uh, it was a unique experience and probably why I don't have any hair on my head anymore. <laughs> well... 
It was, uh, I was there, and that car is spectacular. And to see uh, Peter Porsche's face with the smile on it, holding that trophy. And of course, <laughs> you guys was really special. I was, and maybe you answer this next question. This is a part of the talk I like to get under the hood and maybe get our hands a little bit dirty. And I'd ask you to share a huge challenge or a great failure that you faced in your career that maybe pushed you to a breaking point. But more importantly, how did you overcome that and what did you learn from it? You know, I think as in our previous discussion before we started the interview, you talked about how it takes a long time to develop something for it to be great or to, to develop a great reputation. Mm-hmm. And how quickly quick it is to lose that it can um I think that defining moment when we when Porsche asked us to restore their car for them to go to Pebble Beach, it put a lot of pressure on us because that's right uh, right in the middle of that restoration is when the economy fell through the bottom uh people were not buying cars, we did not have any supplement income coming into the dealership, and uh, it was ba- really on our restoration shop to carry you know, and this is being frank, our automotive business. And it was a very stressful time. And when you have a business partner and you have employees and you have that kind of pressure, it's really, you find what you're made of. Sure. And you find out what kind of team you have. And we persevered through it. But it was the most stressful time in our lives, but it was worth it. When we won at Pebble, we had our whole staff there. And it was an emotional moment because it was two years of stress and emotion, and I broke down in tears, and so did Kevin. But it was worth it. It was worth it in so many ways because we pushed ourselves to the limit. We found out so much about ourselves. But moreover, we found out that in the car business, which is a little bit like trading horses, if you do it the right way with integrity and ethics, our customer base, we continue to sell cars and we continue to restore cars. And you can only do that when you have sound service, sound product, and sound relationships. Great story. Awesome story. So, Cam, let's shift gears here and go to the other end of the spectrum. Could you share a real aha moment in your business and your career? This would be a time when you realize that, you know what, this idea we have for this business, I think it's really going to make it. And tell our listeners the steps you took to turn that aha moment into a success. You know, I would say it's twofold. For us, our journey has been that we have clients on the East Coast and West Coast in North America, and we have international clients. Our aha aha moment was uh, when Kevin found a piece of property on Friday Harbor, Washington, which is an island, uh, San Juan Island chain. Oh, yeah, just north of uh, Gig Harbor here. That's right, and that's where Kevin decided that he found a piece of property, we're going to put our showroom on this piece of property. And I said, what, how does that make sense at all? No, <laughs> at all. Yeah. Cause it's a little bit isolated up there. It's a little bit isolated. You can take a ferry there and of course uh, have your car on the ferry. Or you can fly there directly from SeaTac, Seattle, but it's really turned out to be uh, an incredible success because it turns out that people, I think, beyond wanting to find good cars and enjoy their cars, they want an experience. It kind of goes back to the story you have with your son. Mm-hmm. People enjoy coming there because it's a unique experience, and they oftentimes bring the car that we either sold them or restored for them, and all of a sudden, they're using their cars. Instead of, I think, in this collector car world, we're so caught up in the rhetoric about values 
and collect our car values and speculation that we're oftentimes not enjoying these things that we're spending so much time and money on. Mm-hmm. And it's actually get to the nitty gritty of it is enjoy it because we've got far less days ahead of us than we do behind us, in my opinion. Oh, you're right. You know, every time I've sold a car and it's driven away, I've looked at my wife and said, I should have driven that more. I just saved it for that guy. Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't think any of us think that, you know, Absolutely. And then the second, you know, my advice for small business owners, there was a time when we had our critical match point and our tipping point and where Kevin and I were still doing everything. We were doing, you know, literally everything in our showroom and restoration shop. And it came to the point where I said, Kevin, my phone kept ringing at the restoration shop. I was like, I cannot answer all these calls with questions about tiddlywinks. So we finally bit the bullet down because we couldn't see how we could quite afford it, but we hired a full-time admin to support us. We hired another full-time administrative staff just to answer the phones. We hired a full-time accountant. And when you become, I think it's hard to step back because you know, when you start with a baby company and you grow it, it's hard to know when you've become something bigger than a smaller company or smaller mindset because you have been doing everything for so long mm-hmm. and that really was a growth moment that really was an aha moment because we could focus kevin could focus on sales uh, customer relationships i could focus on the shop and the relationships in the shop and relationships with our customers we could finally focus on what we do best uh, that is the best advice and for any entrepreneur out there small business person out there listen to what cam is telling you because those are the moments when you can break free and focus on what's important and you, you, in essence, start working on your business instead of in it. Yeah, absolutely. And it's such an important move. It's hard to know when to do it. It's painful and difficult, and yeah. but it frees you up in so many ways. So that aha moment is spectacular. Yeah, it's giving up control. <laughs> yes, you have to. Yeah, to the right people. But you said at the beginning of this discussion, finding the right team, team members, uh, the yep. right associates to work with is really key. And when you do, oh my gosh, they can free you up like you've never known. Yep. Let's have a little fun here. What was your first really special car? And maybe you could share a memory you had with that vehicle. Uh, When I was a sophomore in college, I went and bought a 1959 Porsche convertible D. Convertible. Ooh, oh, wonderful. And I, and I pulled it out of a cherry orchard. <laughs> <laughs> it had a tree growing up in the center of it. It had and, a tree uh, growing in the center of it? Yep. Yes, oh, my did. gosh. Yep. I bought it in Allentown, Pennsylvania, and uh, I had been working in a restoration shop for just over a year at that point. And I thought, well, you know, I'm going to fix this car, and it's going to be awesome. And uh, I did. I, you know, I got the car up and running. I did all the work myself at the restoration shop I was working at the time. Uh, the memories I have of uh, my mother... Uh, driving the car first when it finally became operational. The memories I have of going to the East Coast, the 356 East Coast holiday with my parents driving that car. And all those things that I think a lot of people my age and younger don't have, it's spending time with an automobile. It's doing your own valve adjustments, you know, seizing in your brakes, drum brakes, learning to take your brakes apart, checking the brake cylinders, doing all those things that you become your automotive knowledge as a young man and you got all the time in the world as opposed to when you get older in life 
to get, become intimate with the automobile and have knowledge base. And those years, I look back and I think, what a great time of my life to actually spend that much time with that car. I still have it. So, oh, yeah. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> that's great. How about seller's remorse? You've bought and sold a lot of cars. So this may be a really odd question for someone who's in that business, but is there a vehicle that you've sold that you just wish you could have back? You know, it's funny. My first really nice car was a 1998 Saab 900 turbo convertible. And that sounds kind of funny from a Porsche guy, but I I kick myself in the butt every day for selling that car because I had it all through college as my main vehicle. And to this day, I wish I still had that funky Scandinavian car. <laughs> yeah, those are really <laughs> unique cars for sure. Yes. Is there a current project, Cam, that you're working on right now that really has you excited and fired up? We do. We're very fortunate right now. We have, uh, uh, we're becoming known for um, the harder restorations metalwork-wise. And we have a four-digit split-window coupe in our shop. That's a Porsche. Those were made in 1950 to 51. And this is one of the first 200 cars made when Porsche transitioned from Gmund, Austria, when they made their first initial batch of 52 cars. So now they're making steel-bodied cars on a production line, but still very much handmade in Zuffenhausen and Stuttgart. This is one of the first 200 cars made. It's all numbers matching. It's, uh, again, this is a four-digit car, meaning it's only four digits in the VIN before they transition to five. And I'm very proud of this project because we've done meticulous research on making parts that don't exist for the car. Wow. That's mm-hmm. fantastic. What color is it going to be? It's going to be fish silver gray, which is the original color of the car. Mm-hmm. And it's a beautiful sh- shade. It's like a silver gray. It's a real pretty shade. Oh, can't wait to see that. That sounds fantastic. Okay, Cam, here's a funny question for you. If you were a car, what kind of car would you be and why? <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, I think I would have changed my mind. I, I would have had a different answer two months ago. We were in Seattle at the Meekum auction of all places, the first time Meekum had an auction there. Mm-hmm. I came around the corner, and there sat a 1985 Ford F-150 sidestep pickup. And I fell in love with this thing, and I go to Kevin, I go, I'm a bit on that car. And he goes, what? And I said, I'm going to bid on this truck. And, you know, I've never owned a pickup. Short story, I uh, end up buying this thing, and I've been driving it every day since, since uh, it arrived in North Carolina. And maybe I'm getting in touch with my southern uh, adopted roots. Mm-hmm. But I love this thing. It has the 300, uh, you know, inline six, 300, 4.9 liter motor, indestructible. And I guess it's durable. It's fun to drive going slow, and it's hairy going fast. (laughs) (laughs) It's totally functional. I throw uh, everything into the short bed. And uh, and my nieces and nephews love it because they can sit five abreast on the bench seat. I don't know. It's just a unique experience. As a guy that drives sports cars, I'm so fortunate to drive cool cars. This thing really kind of describes me to a T, I guess, durable and dependable, maybe. I like that. That's a great answer. I always love it when somebody doesn't pick their favorite car. They pick something that makes more sense with who they are. So uh, that's great. It tells our audience a little bit more about you as well. I love that. All right, Cam, we're coming up on a fun part of our talk. I call it the last lap. The white flag's out, and this is where I fire off a series of questions. And you give our listeners some very quick blips of the throttle answers. So are you ready? Mm-hmm. Okay, here we go. What is the best automotive advice you've ever received? 
You're only as good as the last car you sold or restored. <laughs> That's perfect. And that applies to a lot of other things in life, too, I think. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> That's great. Can you share one of your personal habits that you believe has contributed to your success? I've had to train myself to be a morning person. <laughs> <laughs> so, and I find in, in the morning hours is when I can be most productive. So I can really concentrate on what the biggest concerns and urgencies and to-do lists are in the shop and in general. I think that's a very, for me, it's very productive. Yeah, I've heard that from many of my guests here on Cars. Yeah, get up early. It's kind of the old early to bed, early early to rise makes the mm-hmm. man healthy, wealthy, and wise. And uh, it, it's, it is. The mornings, in fact, there's some great books out there that talk about how the morning is when your mind is at its most creative state. And to uh, put everything else away and use that time to focus on the really important things in your business, in your life. And uh, I try to do that as well. I always try to get up real early in the morning. Right. In fact, my very first first guest on Cars Yeah was Rick Cole of Rick Cole Auctions. And he said, I'd much rather see a sunrise than a sunset. I think he gets up at like 4.30 in the morning every day. So Wow. Yeah. So like I said, I'm, I'm maybe not a most, most, um, mostly invo- evolved person because I've really had to train myself. I could stay up to 4 in the morning, no problem, but I've really had to train <laughs> myself to be a morning person. Yeah, yeah. No, it's a, great, it's a great trait. I think it's great. Is there a resource that you could share with our listeners you're really fond of? Maybe it's a website you go to often or an app you use on your phone? You know, I don't know. I'm kind of, uh, I guess I'm an old heart or old school in general, but, you know, I guess the two resources that I love and depend on, I love the Res Institute and the Miles Collier Collection. Oh, yeah. I think they have a wonderful um, news blog, if you will. They send out monthly. Miles Collier, I'm one of his self-proclaimed disciples, Mm. so I might be biased, but he really talks about... uh, car collecting in the highest way possible. And that's really what that book, uh, the recent book that I collaborated with, with Randy Leffingwell and um, Michael Furman, it's all about that, the three C's as we call them, going from a consumer to a collector to a connoisseur. Mm. So, and I really think he, uh, a lot of our information or really our details about that transition came from Miles Collier. Oh, great. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Great guy. I'd love to get him as a guest here on Cars. Yeah, I think he'd be wonderful inspiration to people. Yep, and plus he has the best vocabulary. He has the best lexicon in the world. <laughs> <laughs> well, that would, that's great, too. So uh, maybe you can make an introduction for me. <laughs> Absolutely. Cam, would you share a book that you recently enjoyed with our listeners other than the book that you just published? Sure. Um, a great read that's relevant to everything we've discussed, and I've just read this very quickly on a plane, Malcolm Gladwell's David versus Goliath. Mm, yeah, great it's got book. A, yeah, it's got a lot of things that uh, parallel uh, entrepreneurship and business life in general, I believe. Well, you can find all these great resources at carsyeah.com slash Cam Ingram. That's I-N-G-R-A-M. I'll post all these up on his show notes page so that you can find them. Do you have any interesting hobbies outside of your passion for cars? I guess I'm a pseudo-intellectual. I love reading about philosophy and history, mm. and uh, I also love motorcycles. I think uh, one of these days I would love to build my own uh, you know, cafe racers, my own interpretation of what I would enjoy to ride. So that's my far-off goal one of these days when I have some time to myself and can work on my own projects will be motorcycles. 
Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. I assume you've, you've read that book. One of the best books I've ever read. Yeah, my son turned me on to that book. So Cam, we're up to the checkered flag. If you could only have one collector car in your garage, and this isn't a car you can sell to buy a bunch of other cars with, being a car dealer, I didn't want you to go down that path. (laughs) And money is no object. I'm going to buy you whatever you want today. What would that vehicle be and why? That's an easy easy answer for me. That would be, excuse me, that would probably be a 1968, it would be, a 1968 Porsche 911 Trans Am car. Hmm. Uh, they made 28 of these, and what it was, Porsche in 1968, they made a, a program, they had a program called the Sports Purpose Catalog, and they produced a catalog for the first time Porsche aficionados around the world, enthusiasts could order a race car, basically, that was street legal from Porsche, and you could opt the car out with as many race options as you wanted. And uh, this is featured in the book, uh, Porsche Was Unexpected. Oh, yeah. My fa- yeah, my father has one. It is by far, it's a short wheelbase car. It has all the race goodies from Porsche, from the sports catalog. And to me, it is the perfect car. It, uh, you, you feel the car in the seat of your pants. You drive it by the seat of your pants. Every time I get in the car, I learn something new and feel something new, and I'm challenged. And that's what I like to be engaged in the driving process, and mm-hmm. I always feel like that car challenges me. Oh, what a great choice. Very unique car, and a lot of people don't know that those cars exist because they built so few of them. So that's a great, great answer. Would you share with our listeners what's the best way for them to learn more about you and your company? The thing, it's, uh, our, our website is roadscholars.com. All of our information, we, uh, I'm very passionate about our website. I think in the modern age, you have to have an interesting, well-done website to interface with people, and I think it speaks volumes of what we're about. We're about, of course, passion and quality. And there are some fantastic cars for sale there. Uh, I go to your website quite often and just, oh, I want that one. I want that yeah, one. Yeah. <laughs> some great yeah, yeah. Yeah, audience probably doesn't know, but you had a wonderful 72911S we purchased from you. Oh, I know. Don't, you know, that's my seller's remorse. Let's not talk about that. (laughs) Oh, yeah, that's, that was a hard one to part with, but uh, that's a story for another day. Well, Cam, you've taken us on a great ride and I've so enjoyed your stories. And I want to thank you for taking the time today to be with me and with our listeners and take us on your journey. Sounds like you're going many great places. Would you give us one parting piece of guidance before you drive off into the sunset in that Porsche? You know, Mar, it's a real privilege to be on your show. I've enjoyed this. I think if I had one uh, last bit of information to share, it'd just be never to stop, uh, never stop innovating. And uh, I don't. I, I always strive to be a better person. I always think you can improve processes, and that's something I don't. I think you can always do things better. At least that's my personal belief. And I think. Our business is really a personification of that. Great advice. Great advice. Well, again, you can find links to everything that Cameron has shared with us today here at com slash Cam Ingram. Thank you, Cam, for being so generous with your time and your expertise and sharing your experiences with the listeners. Until we talk again, I'll see you down the road. My pleasure. Thanks, Mark. You're welcome. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. 
Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah! Yeah!